you're being seated, I invite your attention to the first chapter of John's Gospel. The text before us this morning is the Gospel of John's account, or accounts, of Jesus calling his first disciples. Chapter 1, I'll begin reading at verse 35, and I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. The following day, John the Baptist was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and then declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. Then John's two disciples turned and they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, Jesus said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place, and they stayed there the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who had heard what John said and then followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, You are Simon, the son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, be my disciple. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went off to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus. This is the Word of God. Friends, would you pray with me? Father, particularly as heirs of the Protestant Reformation, we seek to offer you our lives so that you can continually, continually be reforming your church, continually reforming your people according to your word. Give us ears to hear now what you're saying to us. Give us the grace and the courage to allow you, to allow your word to inform us and transform us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I am sure that John the Baptist worked very hard to gather his disciples. I am sure that John the Baptist worked very hard to pour his life into teaching and leading his disciples. But we also know from the New Testament that John the Baptist did not mind letting his disciples go follow another teacher. We see that happening in the text here. They left John the Baptist, two of John's disciples left him and went and followed this preacher from Nazareth. And John the Baptist did not mind letting them go. Perhaps it's because John the Baptist is a good 
Jew, knew the Hebrew Bible, that which we call the Old Testament, and perhaps he knew that verse there in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, that says that jealousy will rot the bones like a cancer, and he refused to participate in jealousy. But probably, more to the point, John the Baptist did not mind letting those two disciples follow this preacher from Nazareth, because John the Baptist knew that his calling, his role, was to be the forerunner of the one who was to come, the Messiah. He was the one who was to prepare the way, and then when Messiah would come, he, John the Baptist, would decrease so that the Messiah would increase. That was John's calling in life, and John was delighted when he could point to someone and say, look, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I'm sure he was delighted when two of his disciples followed after Jesus. What we have in our text before us this morning in the early part of John's Gospel is a series of stories about people coming to Jesus and then people leading other people to Jesus. You know, when we joined Wesley Memorial Church, one of the vows we took was that we would participate in this congregation and we would support this congregation with our witness. I hope that each one of us here in this room know the joy of leading someone to Jesus Christ, helping them find fullness of life in Jesus Christ. We are part of this church family and we offer our work of witness and invitation as part of our Christian discipleship. Here in this text, we see a lot of witnessing going on. John pointed to Jesus. Two of his followers decided to follow Jesus. We learn from the text that one of those followers was named Andrew. The other disciple in the text remains unnamed, but in Christian tradition, we think is John, the author of the gospel. Because when you look at this text and the rest of the gospel, it feels like an eyewitness account. So we have considered that these two disciples of John the Baptist who went to follow Jesus were Andrew and John, the author of the gospel. And we notice here then that later Andrew goes and gets his brother, Simon. We'll talk in a few moments about Simon and receiving the new name, Peter. And then later in our account, we see that Jesus goes all the way to the Galilee and he finds Philip. And then Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and introduces him to Jesus. This series of stories that show us how to witness to others, point others toward Jesus Christ. We are called to witness in both word and deed. It's both and. It's not either or. I know some people prefer to just witness in deed. Some people do a pretty good job of witnessing in word. It should be both and. We witness in word our deeds of mercy. We witness in word and deed. We do those loving things to help point people to Jesus Christ. But then also we do what the psalm commands us. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We're called to witness in word and deed. That's what you see going on in this text. But what I want to do for just a few moments is call our attention to the red letters that we find in this text. 
Of course, red letters in some translations of the Bible um, are the way we, we see the words of Jesus in the New Testament. It's interesting in this text that I read for you a few moments ago, there are four places where red letters occur, where we hear Jesus speaking. And since it comes so early in the Gospel of John, I think these red letters are particularly significant. I think it's really important when you look at the very, very first thing Jesus says in the Gospel of John. So I call your attention to the red letters. The first red letters I see in the Bible before me is the question that Jesus asked Andrew and John. What do you want? What do you want? That's the first thing we hear Jesus saying in the Gospel of John. What do you want? Now, I know John's Gospel well enough to know that he usually intends a deeper meaning to most of what he presents than we, than we see at first. When Jesus looks at Andrew and John and says, what do you want? I don't think Jesus was simply saying, what's on your mind? I don't think Jesus was asking for information. I think Jesus was pointing them to something deeper. When he turned around and saw John and Andrew following him, these disciples of John the Baptist, I believe that Jesus asked them, what do you want? Because he wanted to find out what they wanted out of life. What, what they wanted most out of life. What were their motivations in leaving John the Baptist and following him, Jesus? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want most out of life? What is that thing that you want most that influences, impacts everything else you do? That's Jesus' first red letters in the Gospel of John. What do you want? He's calling John and Andrew to, to self-evaluation. I believe he's wanting them to look at their motivations as to why they're following Jesus. We need to look at our motivations as to why we're following Jesus. If we are following Jesus simply for our own purposes, to get what we want out of this life and the life to come, then we aren't following Jesus. We're asking Jesus to follow us. So what are your motivations? What do you want? You notice here in the text... John and Andrew decided that he was wanting some deep, deep information, which is why John and Andrew does not answer the question. Did you notice that? Jesus says, what do you want? John and Andrew come back with, Rabbi, where are you staying? You ever try to deflect the conversation when you don't want to deal with the question at hand? So, Rabbi, where are you staying? And I'm glad that that John and Andrew ask that because that gives me the second set of red letters here where Jesus looks at John and Andrew and says, come and see. Again, I think there's something deeper there than we think at first blush. Come and see. Jesus was not simply saying to them, come and check out my lodgings. Come and check out the digs in which I live. I think he was inviting them to something deeper. I believe that when Jesus said to them, come and see, he was saying, come and check him out. Come and consider him. And that's 
what they did. I don't know exactly what John and Andrew wanted in life or at this moment, but I'm so grateful that at least they wanted above anything else at this moment to know more about Jesus. So they went. They went with Jesus to where Jesus was staying, and they spent the rest of the day and the night there with Jesus. Oh, I wish I could have heard the conversation between Jesus and John and Andrew that night. I'm sure Jesus poured his heart out to John and Andrew, and, and Andrew got so excited. We see as we go through the text that the very next morning, Andrew got up and he went to get his brother Simon. And I'm so glad that he got up to go get the, his brother Simon because when Andrew, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, that elicits the next red letters that we see in the text. Simon is brought to Jesus by his brother, Andrew. Simon has said to, Andrew has said to Simon, we have found the Messiah. He introduces him to Jesus, and then the text tells us that Jesus looked intently at Simon and said, red letters, you are Simon, the son of John, but you will be called Cephas. And for us Gentiles in the room, he parenthetically tells us which means Peter. And if you know Greek, you know that Peter means rock. So here Jesus says, you are Simon right now. That's your name. You're the son of John. That's the name that John gave you, but you will be called Rocky or the rock or rock solid or man of granite. Maybe not now, but you will be called Petros, rock. You know, when I look at this, I cannot help but understand that it's pretty evident that Jesus saw something in Simon that no one else saw in Simon. And I think it was logical not to see Simon as a man of granite. Jesus saw something in Simon. That's why Jesus was calling Simon into ministry. Jesus sees something in each one of us that we perhaps can't see. Others perhaps can't see. Sometimes we don't even want to see what it is Jesus sees in us because if we acknowledge what it is that Jesus sees in us, we might have to change our lives a little, a little and go in a different direction. Jesus saw something in Simon that perhaps no one else saw. You are Simon, but you will be called Peter. Now we know the story of Simon Peter. In the Gospels, he vacillated according to his emotions. Frequently, he would speak. He would speak before he would think. But if you keep reading through the Gospels, you see that after you exit the Gospels and enter the book of Acts, there's a different Peter there. The Peter who was hiding, in fear, hiding because of fear of the Jews, the Peter that denied Jesus in Acts chapter 2 becomes the Peter that stands up on the day of Pentecost there in Jerusalem and he preaches to thousands and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Jesus saw something in Simon Peter that no one else could see. When Martin Luther first entered the Augustinian monastery, he um, had a lot of work to be done in his life, in his spirit. 
After he was ordained, the very first time he celebrated the Eucharist, the first time he celebrated Holy Communion with the people there, he froze in terror before the altar. But within a few months, that same Martin Luther takes on the whole established church by nailing the 95 Theses to the door. wonder what happened. Well, one of the things that happened was Martin Luther had a spiritual director named Stolpitz. Now, Stolpitz got frustrated with Martin on a lot of occasions, but Stolpitz stayed connected to Martin and kept pouring into Martin's life. And eventually, the world saw perhaps what Stolpitz saw in Martin Luther when he became God's, when he became God's instrument for renewing the church. You are Simon but you will be called Cephas. The next day in the text, Jesus gets up. He goes all the way to the Galilee, and he makes a beeline for Philip. He finds Philip. He finds Philip, and then he says to Philip, next red letters, come be my disciple. He goes to Philip. He invites Philip to be his disciple. And then the first thing Philip does is he goes and finds Nathaniel to bring Nathaniel to Jesus. Come, be my disciple. I like this translation in front of me. Notice it says, come be my disciple, instead of simply come be my follower. Now, in John's gospel, when that gospel uses the word follower, he means disciple. But we have to be a little careful with the word follower in our culture. In our culture, it's too easy to become a follower. You can just hit the button and follow someone on Twitter. So maybe follower has lost some of its impact. So I prefer just getting at John's meaning where Jesus within will say, Come be my disciple. A disciple is a follower, but it means a learner a student, or perhaps even better, an apprentice. We're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We're called to be apprentices to Jesus Christ. We grab hold of Jesus Christ. We let Jesus grab hold of us. And we learn to do what Jesus does. We're in this apprenticeship until our life is completely changed. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The, the Holy Spirit makes Christians... We second the work of the Holy Spirit. We in the Christian community should be tools of the Holy Spirit to make disciples, to help people become fully devoted followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is a life of total self-denial, a humble disposition toward everyone else, a wholehearted devotion to Jesus Christ alone as Lord, a willingness to obey His commands in everything, and an eagerness to sense His presence in all of life. Eugene Peterson, the great spiritual author, one time wrote and defined Christian discipleship this way. Christian discipleship is a decision to walk in the ways of Jesus steadily and firmly, and then finding that the way integrates all of our interests, passions, and gifts, our human needs, and eternal aspirations. It is the way of life we were created for.
We repent of trying to control the people around us and allow him to control us. Do you remember those posters from a bygone generation? Uncle Sam pointing at you. And the caption would say something like, Uncle Sam wants you. Jesus Christ wants you and me to be a fully devoted disciple. Here in the text before us, we see some red letters where Jesus was helping them. Jesus is helping us. He helped them. He's helping us to examine our lives. What do you want? He invited them and he invites us to abide with him. Learn of him. Come and see. He wants to change us. You are Simon now, but you will be called Peter. And he is inviting us on the adventure of faith, the journey of transformation. Come be my disciple. Would you pray with me? Living Christ, we pray that you'll give us the courage and the grace to truly say yes to you. Amen.